Galatians 2, we're going to be starting in verse 15. Let me say this about the passage we're looking at, looking at today. Um, many people look at this passage as being the passage of Galatians. The, the main idea, the crux, the climax of the whole book with which the previous two chapters kind of found and lead us to and then speaks to the next four. Okay, so this is the next seven verses sum up all of what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatian church. And we're going to look at two points of it, okay? Two main ideas that I'd like us to, to walk away with. One, salvation does not come through the law, through obedience to the law. And secondly, life, the here and now, also does not come through obedience to the law. So look, last week, Ricardo preached and talked about how we saw this passage where, where Peter rebukes, or sorry, Paul rebukes Peter because Peter is living in a way that, that you know, gets rid of the gospel, that says, listen, it's, you have to add on these ceremonial laws or otherwise you're not truly following Jesus. And so Peter, he, he lived in this hypocrisy of one moment he's dining with the Gentiles or non-Jews and then the next moment he's, he's kind of shying away from them because of fear of man because he's still trying to keep some of the old ceremonial law and not live in the grace and freedom of Christ. And so Paul rebukes him publicly, and we we pick up here in verse 15, I think a continuation, if you will, of that conversation. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. So he says, listen, Peter, look, we're we're Jews by birth. Me, you, Barnabas, we get the law. We've tried since day one to live out its commands. Okay, that's who we are. And then, and not... Gentile sinners, he says. No, no, Paul uses this word somewhat in a facetious manner. Not just because if you were a Jew, you saw a non-Jew as being a sinner simply because they did not even try to live out the law. There, there, was, there was no part of them that desired to live out any of the commands. And the commands were, were abundant, okay? If we look through the Old Testament, there were 613 rules given to the people of Israel with which they must live life in order to be deemed righteous. 613, and some of these were crazy. You couldn't even, you couldn't have a poly-blend shirt. So if you had like a cotton wool thing going on today, sinner, okay? That's just the way it is. Sorry. And so they look at these Gentile sinners because, listen, they didn't even try and live up to this law. We Jews are so righteous. And so he leaves it in this, this facetious manner and then, and then goes on to explain this in verse 16. He says this, Yet we, Peter, we know this, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So this, ready? Verse 16 is, the, is just the, the verse for the entire book. He's like, listen, we, we understand this, Peter. We're on the same page. Right? We, you, you and I, remember we met in Jerusalem. We talked about what the gospel is and laid out that it's, it's grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, it's not by works. It's not by the law. Why then have you gone back to this? Why have you done this? And, and, and for us today, the, here's the idea. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? That, that just because of our transgressions, because of and the fact that we're just messed up people, okay, the wages of that, the payment for that, the sentence for that is death. Death both physically, 100% of us will die, right? And then spiritually, complete disconnection from God forever. 
This is, this is the reality, right? So because of our transgressions, we are going to be dead as a punishment, as, as a conviction of our sin. And so over here, we have this, this, this death thing, and then sure enough, we, we long for life, right? We long to go from death to life, from, from disunity with God to holy communion with the Father, from hell to heaven. Whichever you want to put on either side, there is this gap in the middle with which we try and jump across, so, so the Jews, they, they had these 613 commands, and, and if, if they were able to fulfill those, this would bridge that gap. It was, it, was, it was done so just to show the impossibility of actually living out the law, the impossibility of living up to God's perfect standard. And yet, the problem remains. The problem remains. How do we, how do we span this gap from life to death? And the answer is, is justification. The answer is, is what Paul tells Peter. He says, listen, it's, it's justification. It's that, man, you are now found blameless and, and you are found without guilt because of Jesus and nothing else. You have not earned this. And so we'll see how justification, this idea, and it is, it is one of the most important doctrines out there. People often will say it is, it is the most important doctrine of our faith to understand, that you have been made right before God because of your faith in Jesus. And so there's four ways that I think that we, we treat justification. And Paul here condones just the reception of it. We receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. There's, we don't do anything else. We just believe and we receive justification. God makes us right in his sight. Now, now a common abuse in the one we see here in the text is that people are trying to earn it. The law was an attempt to earn your justification. And, and some of us here might even be thinking, listen, man, I'm not trying to earn anything, right? You're like, I barely come here, okay? I don't go to a Bible study. I'm not, I don't even read my Bible, right? I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm all about the free grace of God. And I'd say this, listen, if, if that's your story, you're just, just as legalistic as the rest of us. Because you think you, gotta, you have to check in to church a couple times a month, right? You just need to show up once and you do four square, right? You check into redemption, God sees it, and maybe if you're mayor of redemption church, then all of a sudden you get grafted in. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. See, we all have this, this, our hearts flinch is always to try and prove ourselves. And so we try and earn it. We'll see a, a couple other ways coming up, but as a, as Justin Anderson, maybe you guys, you guys might remember him, uh, pastor here, um, our newest intern. He, um, <laughs> he always used to say this. He said, stop trying to be good because you stink at it, right? You're no good at being good, so just stop. Love Jesus. And that's, what, that's what Paul's saying to Peter. He's like, listen, you're trying to go back to what we used to do. Love Jesus. We, we've already confirmed this to be the truth, and many of us in here, look, many of us in here are Christians, just by percentage, right? You have signed up for this. This is the truth. Stop going back to the way it used to be. And so he goes on in, in verse 17. It says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So he's like, listen, he uses this sinner's word again and says, hey, if Christ, okay, sets us free from bondage to the law, okay, no longer do we have to live out these commands to be saved, then doesn't, doesn't because of that, won't, won't then the Jews see us as sinners? Won't we be equated with the Gentile? 
with the non-Jew who we already saw as sinner? Do we equate ourselves? And, and then going on further then, will the Jew look at our life and say, hey, obviously your Jesus, your version of Jesus proves that he's a servant of sin, proves because you no longer attempt to care for the law or live a righteous life. And so I think the third way that we, we handle justification is we abuse it, okay? We abuse justification. We take the grace of God, we assume it, and then we abuse it. All of a sudden, we, just, we feel that there's this freedom to do which, whatever we want, and there, there's, there's just no need to try and attempt to live a righteous life in response to the gospel. And we abuse it. And so we, we run around, and, and Paul addresses this in, in Romans as well, saying, listen, shall we continue on sinning so that grace may abound? Certainly not. We, we fight and we struggle. We, we fight for the grace of God. And he'll go on to say we endeavor for our justification, that there are, there are things we do in response to our place before God. We don't abuse it. And then lastly, and this one, this one the text doesn't necessarily speak to because I don't know if it was, it was necessarily a problem for them the way it is now for us. And I think the last way is, is we deny it. R.C. Sproul has this quote, says, I'm afraid that in the United States of America today, the prevailing doctrine of justification is not justification by faith alone. It is not even justification by good works or by a combination of faith and works. The prevailing notion of justification in our culture today is justification by death. All one has to do to be received into the everlasting arms of God is to die, right? See that there's, there's just this move in our culture. Let's say, look, surely a good loving God would not send or condemn someone to hell. Surely a good God would not be just in that way. So, so really I'm in, right? Love wins. Right? Is, 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 that, is that not a prevailing idea in, in our culture today that, listen, no, 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 I'm, I'm genuinely good. It's not a big deal. I don't need to think about it. I can just deny the need for justification, deny the need to be found blameless because, man, everyone is going to be found blameless at one point. And so we do those four things, I think, and, and the question for us is, is, is where do you land, where, where do we land individually, corporately? Do we understand the doctrine of justification? That we've been set free, that, that we could not, because of the wages of our sin, were leading us towards death, and because we desired life and relationship with God, and we could not span this gap by any means of our own, we had to rely on the grace of God. Do we, do we get that idea? That there was nothing to get us from this point to this point outside of the cross of Christ. See, and, and every day, you're going to have opportunities where, you, where you're going to have to make the answers to those questions, to, to know where you stand on this doctrine. It is that vital. It is that important that you get the grace of God, that you get justification. You, listen, if you in here have confessed Christ as Savior, there is nothing more you must do to please him towards salvation. Okay? You, your faith is enough. Grace is is enough. And then in response, we act. So we don't abuse this doctrine, but we love this doctrine to the point that we just want to carry it out over and over and over and let people see that we are not justifying Christ as sinner, but rather as perfection and as saint. The, uh, one, of the, one of the best ways that I've, uh, I've ever seen this, well, I guess I didn't really see it, but now as I look back on it, is I was a, um, 
I coached, or didn't coach, I went to a soccer camp at Rutgers University in New Jersey, and they got a pretty, pretty decent soccer program, but um, it was a two-week camp, and then at the end of the camp, uh, there was a kind of a tournament for all the, for all the teams. And so uh, team captains were placed over each kind of group of 20 guys in order that at the end, you know, there would be some structure and some leadership to it. And so for whatever reason, it probably wasn't because of my play, probably just because I'm loud, uh, but I was chosen team captain over, over these, these 20 other guys. And so we had to set team rules. We had to set the lineup, talk formation, talk strategy. And so I, I laid down one rule. For my team, I said, listen, if you want to be a starter in that tournament, all you have to do, I mean, earn your spot in your play, but all you have to do is make sure you show up to our 6 a.m. team meeting. So we'd get together, we'd talk strategy, formation, plays, the whole deal, and we'd have breakfast together. And it was just kind of a team building, team bonding thing where we could talk about what we were going to do. And I said, listen, that's it. Okay, you're going to earn your spot because you're a play, but listen, if you don't show up to the meeting... Uh, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to start. And so here's what happens. A few days later, our starting left fullback, or who would have been, he was like the best player on our team, um, he, he broke his ankle. And so there was immediately this spot that was open up, and, and I wasn't too keen on the guys that were to back him up for the tournament. And so um, one of the midfielders, another position, came to me and said, hey, um, I, I, do you think I could get on the field if... If I, play, if I went and played fullback, if I went back to defense. And I said, yeah, maybe. I mean, you got some skills that'll translate, but there's some differences between your position and this new position. And so um, work on these things, right? And so I said, hey, you know, work on some marking and whatever. You guys don't, don't care about that. But listen, there, <laughs> um, work on some different things, right? And so a few days later, I heard he was working on this, and then 6 a.m. rolls around, um, and, and here's kind of, this is kind of a, a funny part to this. His name was Hippie Goat, which... Listen, I'm serious. That's not even a joke. His name was Hippie Goat. Um, Hippie Goat. And so we called him Goat. I think his parents were from Tucson or something. But, um, <laughs> and so I was like, hey, guys, guys where's, where's Goat? You know, and uh, there's too many syllables, the other one. And so um, I, they're like, oh, I don't know. I think I saw him on the field earlier this morning. And so I, sure enough, 7 o'clock rolls around. We go down the practice field, and he was out there working on the things that, that we had told him, hey, you need, to, you need to work on this stuff if you want to be a starter at fullback. And I was like, look, man, I appreciate that you're doing that. I appreciate that you try and get better at the things we told you to get better at, but I need you at the meeting. This is, this is what you got to do. The guy missed the next two meetings as well because he was out on the field practicing the things we told him to practice. And, and he needed to start. He didn't start. I, could, I couldn't let him start because of the one thing he didn't do. See, and, and this, this, this idea of justification is this, listen, just believe in Jesus Christ. There are certainly good things to do. I said, show up to the meeting and then go practice and get better at it. But if you don't start here, if you don't do the one thing necessary to be a starter on this team, you're not going to start. Don't, just, for Christians, do the one thing necessary, put your faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, to cover over all your sins. And you're in. Now, now, as a response to that, you, you walk that out, just the way Goat should have walked out and practiced and continued to get better. See, we do good things. Please continue to serve and continue to uh, you know, do great things for the kingdom, but do so with a foundation that you're doing the one thing that's necessary, that you understand that you're justified by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. He goes on in verse 18. <clears throat> For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. 
So Paul is still saying, listen, if I go back to my old life and I try and earn it all over again, all I, all I see is that I can't do it. Right? See, this is, this is what he saw for, for years. He, he tried to be, he was, if there were ever a Christian, if there were ever a Jew that would have earned it, it would have been Paul. And yet he couldn't even do it. Right? And so, if I go back to what, what I used to do, all I do is prove myself a transgressor all over again. So we see that no matter, no matter what we do, okay, no matter how you slice it or look at it, our salvation, the justification piece of, of our eternal salvation, our relationship and unity with God comes only through faith in Jesus and not in obedience to the law. So just cling to Jesus. He goes on, verse 19, and we'll look at kind of the other main point of this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So I, I just imagine Paul writing this story with just the, like, the biggest smile on his face. And here's why. He's, he's kind of saying, listen, for through the law I died, I, thinking about his old life and saying, man, remember when I toiled and strived every day to live out these commands and then I found out it didn't work and then now I might actually live to God. Finally, there is a way that I can live out the life I've always wanted to. Right? That this whole time, Paul, all he wanted to do was live out the commands of God as a zealous Jew to glorify God, to be righteous before him, and now Christ prepared a way for him to do that. And so the life he now lives, he lives to God finally, and not to slavery and bondage to a righteousness that was based on his own self. He's like, no, 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 now finally, I, finally I have a way. Christ has prepared for me this way to live the life I've always wanted, and I can just see him writing this ecstatic about how he can finally originally get to that. And then verse 20, and this, and this is kind of one of those, you know, when you first become a Christian, you get some of those memory verses going. This is, was mine. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me explain it this way. There were four things nailed to the cross that day at Calvary, okay? One was Christ himself, and we get that, right? Jesus was nailed to the cross, beaten, bruised. Second thing was that there was this public sign or announcement that read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, right? So there was this, this proclamation that was put up there more as a mockery of saying, listen, you think you're a king? Yeah, look at you now. We've got you up on a cross, right? Third all of our trespasses and sins, and we've, we've probably heard this if you've grown up in the church or even if you've been listening, maybe for the last 20 minutes, but Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So see, your sins, your transgressions, also nailed to the cross that day at Calvary. He died for them all. And, and maybe if you've been to a youth conference, you've done that, right? They put up the giant wooden cross up front, and you've got to write some sins down, and then you nailed it into the cross, right? And, and I've done that, and it's kind of, it's a pretty neat moment. It's, 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 it's something that should be impressed upon our minds, that truly your sins have been died for, that they have been put on the cross, and so you can walk in freedom, but then lastly, one I don't think we, we'd often think of the other fourth thing is you. 
right? Paul, Paul says here in, in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I, I died that day too. The minute I put my faith in what Christ did, I also died. We were nailed to that cross because we are now united with Christ through the presence of him in our life, the reconciliation, the redemption of us, a new birth. And so we, we were there. Our sins were there. Christ was there in that moment for us. We are set with a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, I think this is the best spot that, that Paul breaks down this idea of kind of just, man, the old getting out of here and the new, the new life, the, the rebirth, the new birth. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Because we get that Christ is controlling us, because, because we, we believe that because this, that one has died for all, Christ, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, you are, if you put your faith in Jesus, if, if you've trusted him and what he did, you are no longer who you used to be. Right? You have a new identity. You live out of a new person, a new identity that, in which Christ now controls us. We understand that because we've concluded that we are new in this identity. Therefore, Christ controls us. This is the logical argument given by Paul here. See, the, the identity piece, the best way I can, I can picture this is, um, so about a, a year and a few months ago, uh, I became a husband, right? Um, and, and it's been great, obviously, for the marriage and for the sermon illustrations. They're phenomenal. Um, but I became a husband. Okay, see, so not a, not a ton changed in, in really who I was. My personality is still kind of crazy, and I talk too much in some other things. I'm still the same guy, um, my desires are, are still the same. My passions are the, still the same. But, but now there's certain things that because of my new identity, um, I do. Right? I, I, I live out of a new identity. And, and I think of, hey, like every night now, you know, it rolls around to, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever, we're going to bed. And I find myself just removing, you know, anywhere from 15 to 77 pillows and stacking them like the Tower of Babel on the chair next to my, next to my bed, right? Didn't have to do that before. Um, apparently, dishes are supposed to be done right away. Didn't know that. And then snoring's not a good thing, right? And I just tell Verity to roll over and she'll, you know what I mean, she'll stop snoring. So, just, just kidding, I'm the snorer, okay? Um, but no, 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 but, but in reality, I, she's so upset, look at you. I now, I now, am, I, I need to protect her, right? I, I need to provide for another human. You know, like, there are, there are all of a sudden these new roles and responsibilities of my new identity that if I was not a husband, it makes no sense for me to do. But because this new identity has become a reality for me, 
I live out of that. So here's the deal. You don't change. You're still you. You still have your passions, your desires, but now you see them through the lens of a new identity. You can no longer continue to view your passions, your desires, your personality, your life through your old life identity. You're new. Christ now controls you. So what does that mean for your passions, for your desires, for your life? How, who do you spend time with? Where do you go? What do you do? How do you talk to people? Everything must now go through the lens of this new identity. Because you're new. And here's, here's, here's the best part. Is Christ in you gives you the capability to do it well. Listen, none of you okay, would be able to do this thing well if Christ didn't control us, if, if, if we did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to allow us to operate through his grace and his power in our life. That's, that's the good news, that he didn't just set us up for failure. He set us up and then gave us himself that we might be able to live out of who he is. He goes on in verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You see, this, this identity takes on an ambassadorship now. See, an ambassador is, is, I mean, you've probably heard that term before. It is simply someone who goes to another place and embodies the values and the ideals of his home nation, right? So now as ambassadors for Christ, we embody Okay, and we, 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 we take on the values and ideals of Jesus Christ. So that means, again, everywhere you go, everything you do, all of life is sacred. All of life is important. So everything you do now gets put under that lens of Christ's ambassador, a new identity, a new person. I think of, I started going through some times where this has gone real bad because people are watching a little bit. And I thought of, and, and some of you might have heard this story, um, but uh, some years ago, I was, I was in San Diego, and I was hanging out with my friend, and uh, we, we pull up to this gas station, and uh, we're filling up gas, and this guy comes up to us, and he looks, I mean, this, is, this dude looks like a professor of my English class. Glasses, you know, he's balding, so that means wisdom and some other things. He's got a nice tweed coat on, khakis, just, just a, he looks like, hey, this guy's not being shady, whatever. He comes up to me and says, hey, can we get, um, can I get some gas? I'm stuck. I need to get to Orange County. And we're like, all right, you know, we're Christians. And so, um, so we gave him, we gave him 15 bucks for gas. Um, and so then we, 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 finished, we finished filling up. We pull around. We had to make a U-turn to go back past the gas station. And, and I see him walk up to the next guy and give him the same spiel, holding his broken credit card, the whole deal, and just, I go off. Like, my mind begins to think of evil things. And so I'm like, pull, get, get over there. You know, I tell the alley, I said, drive over there right now. And so we, we pull back in, and the car's not even stopped. And I, you know, I jump out of the car, and, and I, you know, I just run at him, you know, Jesus loves you, and no, that's not what I said. I, I said some other things um, that were not good for me to say. I mean, I, how, how dare you? Who do you think you are? There might have been some choice words in there. I'm not sure. It happened so fast. And he is just wide-eyed, like, 
what do, and he's trying to come up with stuff. I said, listen, I, I know what you're doing. Stop running stuff. I said, I want $15 right now or I'm calling the cops. He's, he says, I, I don't have $15. I promise I don't have any money. I can't give you any money back. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so I look into his car and there is just a bunch of junk in the back seat. I don't know what was there. And I said, that's fine. I said, I'm going to have a garage sale. And I want $15 worth of stuff in your back seat that I can go and sell at it. And he goes, are you serious? I said, I want $15 worth of stuff right now. <laughs> so he's like, fine. So he gets in his car, and he peels off. And as he's peeling off, I have this moment of, man, okay, like, give him your tunic also, you know, whatever it is. And, and no, no, no. What I, instead, I take a step back, and I told you I'm a soccer player, and I just kick as hard as I can directly into that dude's bumper and left the fattest dent and walked away, people clapping and feeling so self-righteous in that moment. People coming up to me saying, hey man, like that was, that was awesome. Like, you know, what's that all about? And, and here's the thing, in that moment, man, I had zero desire to talk to people about Jesus, right? I just was cussing, I was on this rant, I'm, just, I'm acting in a way that definitely does not embody any value or any ideal of the kingdom. And in that moment, I was paralyzed to not live the life in that moment that was necessary for me. As people ask me questions about what I do, am I, am I a student, what are you involved in? I had conversations with people that night where I couldn't talk about my faith because I had done things that impeded on my credibility. See, we walk as, as ambassadors in our lives to embody the values of the kingdom. And so, so we see in verse 21, as he wraps up here, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Christ lived the perfect life. See, uh, the life that, that we couldn't live, the 613 laws that all the Jews tried to live out that, that they just weren't able to. See, Jesus did that. He, he lived the perfect life that we could not and then died the death that we deserved so we wouldn't have to and then was raised on the third day that we could have this new birth, this new identity. And so he says, listen, the, the righteousness, the sin that was in us was now given to Christ, and Christ's righteousness was given to us. We'll go back to second, or sorry, Galatians verse 21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see what happens is when we walk around thinking we can still earn it, when we walk around thinking we can still live the life that we used to live and attempt to do the things we used to do in order to earn God's favor and God's salvation, if we attempt to go from death to life by our own means and not through the cross, we essentially tell Jesus your death was meaningless. I don't need it. I'll do it myself. So this rebuke to the Galatian church is saying, listen, this whole letter is because you're believing in a false gospel. You're bringing in some Jesus, but you're tossing in some other stuff. And so that's why every week we're saying, watch out for these things. What are you adding into? How are you handling justification? Do you receive it as you should? Are you trying to earn it in any way? Are you abusing it on the other end? And maybe some of you here even deny it altogether and think it's completely unnecessary and everything we've just said was crazy. But you've got to ask the question. Where do you land? Because it has implications on how you live this life out as an ambassador for Jesus. And we'll land here. <clears throat> I was uh, driving 
This is about six to eight months ago, and I heard this song on the radio, and, and then I heard it again this week, actually. I've been listening to a lot of K-Love, which I know isn't like super cool, but I'm kind of digging it. And, uh, and I heard this song that came on again for me, and I just, and, and, and just work, give me some grace in this as we unpack this, but um, the song goes to this, says, am I more than flesh and bone? Am I really something beautiful? Yeah, I want to believe, I want to believe that. I'm not just some wandering soul that you don't see and you don't know. Yeah, I want to believe. And, and all that stuff, I, 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 get, I get the aspect behind it. We, we, God does see us and God does know us and wants to know us personally. But the last line, Jesus, help me believe that I am someone worth dying for. And, and I struggle with this because that's not the gospel. Right? That's not what Christ has said. That is not what Paul conveys in Galatians. Listen, there was nothing that we have done to earn it. That's why it is so amazing. That's why Jesus, he, in spite of us, he went to the cross. That's why we should be on our knees. That's why this next worship session should be insane because, man, why would he do that? Because, because that's the way that God loves that's what God's love looks like. He is just, but then he prepared a way for us. Even when we didn't deserve it. That's the gospel. That is justification. That is the grace of God invading your life. And I want to do this as we close. One ask, this is um, of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is kind of a statement of faith for the church. Um, the question was asked, how, how am I righteous? And this was the answer. Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that, though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commands of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ even so, as if I ever had had not committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ, ha Christ hath accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit ready, with a believing heart. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that... Um, that even when, we, even when we try and earn it, God, that your grace abounds. God, we thank you that um, we can never hear the gospel enough. That, God, we, we know that, man, we will walk out these doors and, and functionally in many ways just stop living lives that, that reflect a belief about who you are about what you've done, about what the gospel is. So God, will we always take the central message of this letter and really the central message of our faith that God, in spite of us, because we could do nothing on of our own, that God, you still died. You still went to the cross. You lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we couldn't, we deserved, I should say. So God, thank you. God, so send us out as people that believe this, instill in us a desire for your word and for community and to be ambassadors of you wherever we go. God, thank you that you send us out to the city to be these people. God, we pray blessings on the rest of our day. It's in your name we pray, amen.